Hello and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose and I'm here as always with my co-host Jillian Parker. Hi everyone. Hi Quinn. Hi. <laughs> Quinn and I are both sick, so if we <laughs> sound like guys going through puberty, <laughs> that's that's why. Oh, don't. I know. Don't. I'm, yeah, I'm just Okay. <laughs> we're st- we're here. We're alive. Barely. Jillian doesn't have strep throat, which she thought she did this morning. I did. I thought I did, so I went to the urgent care on campus. Um, and I got there at 7.30 when it opened, and there was nobody there, but they said, we can't see you until 8.10. And I was like, why? About Rome. <laughs> I'm glad you don't have strep. I'm sorry you're sick. I'm also sorry I'm sick. <laughs> but we're making it through. The whole- See, we're sick right now, and spring break starts in four days. And so the dream is that we will have recovered by the time spring break starts. Hopefully. Speaking of which... No episode next week, because Jillian and I will both be in Copenhagen. Yeah, it's going to be dope. Yeah. So just to get that out of the way real quick, one, we're sick right now and we're sorry about our voices, and two, there will be no episode next week because we will be abroad, but we will be back in two weeks instead. Sorry, we are continuing to disappoint you, (laughs) but it's fine. (laughs) Isn't that the promise in your Twitter bio that you will disappoint you in like one to two business days? I think it's three to five business days, but... (laughs) Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah, I think we did like three to five business months. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of illness, (laughs) our first topic for today is the United States healthcare system. Ugh, literally, literally yikes. Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit before, so we're actually going to start out with some follow-up just generally about how the U.S. healthcare system works, specifically in terms of cost, because the last time we talked about this, we mentioned that healthcare costs in the United States are greater than any other developed country, so we're going to go into a little bit of exactly what that means. So this is coming from the Commonwealth Fund, which did this huge report on U.S. healthcare um, in terms of a global perspective, and they found that in 2013, the United States spent 17.1% of its GDP on healthcare. Now, this is huge relative to all other developed countries, basically. Um, The next highest percentage of GDP spender was France, who spent 11.6%, and we're paying basically double what the UK spends, which is 8.8%. So that's about $9,000 per capita. Um, A more recent statistic from the CDC found that in 2014, per capita health expenses were $9,523. This is a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's especially concerning not just that it's a lot of money, but that it's a lot of money relative to other countries, um, relative to our GDP. Um, and basically, we spend less money on everyday doctor visits because U.S. citizens have fewer everyday doctor visits, but we spend a lot more money on expensive procedures. Mm-hmm. Like, one way to look at this is um, Americans go to the doctors less, and then they have to spend more money, like, getting really expensive procedures done. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah, we're not very preventative, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, and we also, we generally have less good healthcare results than other comparable countries. We have um, better cancer results. Um, like, a lot of people come to the U.S. for mm-hmm. cancer care because we have some of the best cancer care in the world, um, but 
almost anything else um, we do worse than other countries do. So I actually worked at a healthcare company over the summer. Um, Okay, so it wasn't, (laughs) disclaimer, it wasn't the company itself that I worked for, but it was a computer company where you did billing. So it was like a software company that made this product where um, health insurance companies could keep track of all their clients. And so basically I did like their business aspect, part of the part of the company or whatever. Um, and it was just interesting because I had to learn a lot about healthcare. <laughs> they made me read like this 200 page manual <laughs> and then it came, then the new one came out <laughs> because I, I think it comes out in August or I don't know, it was like some weird update. Um, and the updated one that we have to read always comes out in August. So at the beginning of the summer, I read the 2015 one. And then at the end of the summer, they were like, hey, read this 2016 one and then compare and contrast them. And I was like, well, okay. And so it was interesting because I worked with um, a lot of other interns my age and our, I think our opinions about healthcare definitely changed over the summer. So that, like in that what way? Um, mostly for me, I was just like, oh, like private healthcare insurance, like whatever, like employers pay for your health insurance, big deal, like whatever. But there's just such distortion um, in the healthcare market, like from a very economic perspective. And it's just um, with like subsidies and the idea of moral hazard. And it's just like health insurance. The reason we have health insurance is because the more (laughs) my libertarian economics professor uh, said that the reason we have health uh, health insurance is because there is no market for an insurance where you like insure yourself against having bad genes. And I was just like, well, that's impossible. So I guess your argument makes sense. Um, but it was taking a couple of leaps. I guess. Wait, I'm still confused though. What do you mean by the market is distorted or whatever it is that you just said? <laughs> yeah, so they're just, a, there's just like a lot of non- productive behavior when it comes to like healthcare billing. First of all, like, so moral hazard is basically the idea that if you have something, so say you have a, um, say you have a bike, right? And you get a bike lock. That just means you're going to be less careful or you're, um, it's not, it's not like you're incentivized to be less careful, but you feel like this extra layer of protection because it's like, oh, like I have a bike lock, like nothing's going to happen. And like health insurance kind of does the same thing. So economics says that the theory is that if you have health insurance, you are less likely to be super careful. Wait, super careful in what way though? Like doing more physically dangerous things or like living a more unhealthy life? What's the theory there? Like living more unhealthily? Unhealthy? Yeah. Is that a, is that a, like a, an actual thing or is that just like, do people, can people graph that or is that just a theory that people have? <laughs> Quinn, everything in economics is a theory. <laughs> okay. My, okay. Is there data to support that or is that just an idea? Oh no, that's just an idea. I mean, okay. there probably is data to support it, but the thing is when this, there's no conclusive data because this data all comes in like different papers and then the papers contradict each other and it's just like, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But the point is that there is some sort, but there is some sort of distortion. Like it's not very clean cut, and we know that because we know that there's no such thing as you know perfect competition when it comes to the insurance market. So basically, the economics are complicated. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not totally sure. I buy the whole idea that it 
encourages people to be less healthy. I feel like, so I have health insurance, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very lucky to have good health insurance because I, I have it through my dad, who's a public school teacher. Um, and I feel like the way insurance changes my life is I feel more comfortable going to the doctor for more relatively minor things Mm -hmm. because I feel like I do a lot more preventative care, which is what we were talking about before, is um, Americans tend to do less preventative care and more expensive interventions later on. But because I have this insurance, I feel comfortable going to the doctor and being like, um, usually I, like, if there's something that I'm really worried about, or maybe there's a couple thing, couple smaller things that um, I think are good to ask about, is I feel like comfortable going to the doctor and being like, hey, these are a few things, is there any problem here? Um, and sometimes it ends up being nothing. Sometimes I need to mm-hmm. get some kind of medicine for it. But it just gives me that flexibility. But I don't feel like I have... Like, I, I, I still feel all of the same um, pressure and motivation to be healthy, even though I'm not particularly good at it, but I'm trying. I think it's just, like... It's not the idea, like, oh, I have health insurance, so I'm going to become a stunt double. Like, I don't think it's that kind of thing. I think it's the idea that if you have health insurance you can be more flexible and you can go to the doctor more, but that also eats up costs. And then the benefit of going to the doctor doesn't necessarily outweigh the cost of not going to the doctor. So the costs rise and that means supply is going to decrease and that means prices increase. So I think that's the whole idea of moral hazard when it comes to the health insurance market. I think also it's um, founded in the belief that it's just like probability statistics, right? Like what is the probability that something's very, very wrong? Um, and then, you know, there's, you can plug this into like a whole formula or make up your own algorithm to figure out if you need to go to the doctor or not. But, um, essentially it's just economists believe that if you have health insurance and everyone gets health insurance, there's more incentive to actually use the health insurance because it's like, what a shame. (laughs) Well, no, because it costs money. Yeah. And then it's just going to, that's going to make it even more and more expensive. But couldn't you argue based on the statistics of the healthcare costs that we've been talking about that we are on the wrong end of the scale and that people are not going to the doctor enough and that we would be better off if people were going to the doctor more? I don't know. Like, what are people not going to the doctor for? Well, I just mean, like, if you don't... If you don't have good enough health insurance to go to the doctor for enough preventative care and then you end up having to have these really expensive interventions later. Like, I feel like the statistics that Mm -hmm. we've seen coming from the U.S. show that that's what's more happening. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that other countries are, have been able to sustain more consistent preventative care to keep those costs down. Maybe, yeah, but I think, I don't know, I feel like it's just very complicated just in the fact that how much preventative care can we do? And, like, I think that's because you can't really control your genes, and I know you can, like, there is obviously preventative care if, like, other countries are doing it and what makes us any different, but I don't know. Also, I'm not sure I made this 100% clear at the beginning, but the the other countries that we're comparing ourselves to right now, these are developed countries, um, basically all have universal health care or close to universal health care, which is where the, the comparison is coming from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A lot of um, European countries, it's European. Europe, yeah, European countries, have Canada, has, Canada yeah. has single payer. And single payer means um, basically like the state funds all health insurance. Like a single payer means like one source of funding for health insurance. Well, they get it from, like, different organizations. But, yes, basically, it comes from the government. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm not about it, but it's fine. (laughs) Okay. Putting aside, like, economic theoretical conversation about healthcare, um, 
what we have this week is a new health care plan that was presented by the Republicans as their proposed replacement for the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. And guess what? No one likes it. Yeah, literally nobody likes it. Like, conservatives don't like it, libertarians don't like it, obviously Democrats don't like it, so people are staring at this like, well, whose idea was this? This just confuses me, because it's like, I feel like they should have been able to make a plan that at least Republicans would like. You would think they could have managed that. But no, no one likes it. They just didn't accomplish any of the goals that they had, which was, you know, the whole point was to reduce costs for uh, working families, but it's kind of just redistributed costs differently, and it's actually not going to decrease deductibles significantly. Yeah, it just kind of made healthcare less expensive for people who already make a lot of money, which is not really what we needed. So the new plan would increase costs for a lot of low-income people, and it would even increase costs for a lot of um, more, like, middle-class people, which, who are some of the people that, like, supposedly the new plan was supposed to really help, um, because there are a lot of people, especially more of the, like, upper working class, lower middle class people who have really suffered um, with the cost of the Affordable Care Act, um, and it hasn't really worked for them. But this plan doesn't really achieve any of the ostensible goals that they had in terms of lowering those costs and expanding coverage. They're just raising a lot of costs and shrinking coverage. So actually, one of the plans that was not was not voted positively on was this plan to reduce the tax deduction businesses get for providing health care. And I think, I need to fact check myself on this, but I believe it's called a Cadillac tax, um, which, yeah, is a very bougie name. Wait, why, why is it called the Cadillac tax? I'm pretty sure just because it's named after an expensive car. I literally don't know. It's the Cadillac of taxes. It's, <laughs> the reason why a lot of people get their health insurance through employers is because unlike your income, um, your health insurance it's not taxed directly. So there's just a lot of incentive for you to get health insurance, but then there's incentive for the company to have to spend more on health insurance and have more, um, offer these bigger, better plans since they have to pay for it um, in order to, you know, attract workers and stuff. But it's just not very conducive. Also, just to clarify the term, Wikipedia coming in clutch, um, <laughs> A Cadillac plan is slang for any expensive health insurance plan, but most of them um, are generally sponsored by employers. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very happy that I at least got the name of the car, right? (laughs) I could have been like the the Honda tax. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be much less dramatic tax. The Range Rover tax. The The BMW M5 2017 tax. The Bugatti tax. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Anyway, hire us to come up with your tax names, apparently. But, yeah. Um, Sorry, I didn't hear all of what you said because I was looking up the name of the tax. (laughs) No, it's fine. So, that was what the Republicans wanted to do was to reduce overall costs for health insurance. So, even conservatives are saying that the current bill, um, the one that did ultimately made it to the next stage, um, misses the mark because it doesn't correct anything that... um, caused health care costs to go up under Obamacare. So it didn't really do anything significant. 
And also, what I found interesting was that the plan also left out Trump's proposal, which was backed by, like, a lot of liberals, to empower um, Medicare to negotiate lower drug prices. But that was also, that also did not make the plan. Yeah, there was just a lot in general that would have been more popular that ended up not being in the plan. Also, as predicted previously that we talked about um, on the pod, they repealed the individual mandate um, that required people to have health insurance or to have tax penalties if they didn't have it, but they replaced it with what they're calling a continuous coverage incentive, um, which means that if you don't have health insurance for a while and then you get it again, it's a 30% penalty and cost, which I don't see how that's going to work for anyone because it's still going to drive up costs because healthy people who don't need insurance still aren't going to get insurance. Mm -hmm. But then when they get older slash when they get sick and they try to get insurance, then it's just going to be really expensive for them. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it's like, eh, do I really need it at this point? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, this is... This is not very incentive compatible, is basically (laughs) what we're saying. I mean, that's what you're saying. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) So many terms. Yeah, um, and so there's a link in the show notes from the New York Times that specifically goes through um, specific parts of the two healthcare plans um, and compares them. So that's really useful to look at. They did keep the, you can keep your children on your plan until you're 26, which is one of the most popular parts of the Affordable Care Act, as well as uh, can't discriminate based on pre-existing conditions, which is also a really important part of the Mm -hmm. ACA. But a lot of the other changes in terms of how tax credits work and how funding works for it, um, it is not really making anyone happy. This is a complete digression, but why 26? Like, I, do you know how we came up? To, that's just, to me, that seems just like a very arbitrary age. Like, guess, why not, like, 25? I mean, I guess, like, through the age of 25, you're expected to be still kind of a child. But by the time you hit 26, they're like, okay, you gotta be able to handle this for yourself now. <laughs> Uh, okay, fair. That's fair. As a 20-year-old, I'm quite pleased you can stay on your parents' insurance for a while. Uh, I have no idea how to get health insurance, and I feel like this is not going to go well for me when I do reach 26. Yeah, I feel like the health insurance I'm on now is as good as it's going to get. <laughs> Basically. So, so I'm just going to milk the next uh, five years for what they're worth. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> Anyway, a lot of this conversation was about the economics of healthcare, but as the bleeding heart liberal of this podcast, I also just want to make a statement that I don't think should be political, but seems to be in this day and age, which is that healthcare should be a right and that no one should have to die or choose between healthcare and rent if they get sick. Like, I just, I just feel like that should be rights is like to be able to get health care when you cannot pay for it yourself that's just my feeling no like i totally that's totally justified it's just like not economically possible okay (laughs) (laughs) we're working on it we're well i mean who knows what the republicans in congress are doing the world in general is working on it Okay, we're just, we're just gonna move on. We're just gonna move on. Okay. So we are recording this on Wednesday, which means that it is International Women's Day. Woo, females! Woo! <laughs> Happy International Women's Day. Oh, were you saying that to me? Yes. <laughs> oh! Happy Nationals... <laughs> I can't even say the name. Happy National Women's Day, Quinn. 
Sorry, I was looking for the podcast notes. <laughs> we are really well put together today. So there is a lot of stuff going on today. International Women's Day is always a thing, of course. Um, it has been for a while. And before anyone says anything, International Men's Day is on November 19th. Calm down. But, so today is International Women's Day, and I feel like it's been a lot more activism-focused than it usually is. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's always been a thing for a long time, and it's generally... Um, in previous years, I've seen a lot of people, like, sharing women whose work they enjoy um, mm -hmm. and elevating women's voices, which is super cool. But today has been very specifically activism-focused, um, so there's a couple different things we want to talk about there, starting with the coolest statue ever. Oh, yes. So basically, the famous Wall Street um, statue of the bull has, you know, been around forever, but recently they have an addition. So it's um, a little girl standing, like, directly in front of the bull, like, looking fierce af, with, like, her hands on her hips, and it's, like, supposed to be, like, her looking up, or not looking up, but her facing head-on um, Wall Street and the idea of business and how, you know, there should be more women in finance and just, like, all of these different things. And it's just, like, such... Ugh, I love it so much. Yeah, and, like, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, though, obviously, links in show notes, but um, the bull is, like, a rampaging bull, mm -hmm. and it's it's very large, and so, and then this picture, and it's a girl, like, she's not fully grown, she's, like, clearly a child, and she's standing off to it with her hands on her hips, and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's just so, it's just so great. As a, as a woman in finance, how do you feel about it? Ugh, I love it. I want this to encourage people to go into finance. Oh my gosh. It's not encouraging me to go into finance, but I appreciate it anyway. <laughs> no, I think I, and, and this is also, this is not just like Banksy style, middle of the night, someone left it there kind of thing. Like it is a professional statue that was done um, in conjunction with the city. And so first of all, it's built in the same style as the bowl. So it looks like it's just part of the installation. Like that it, the two of them were built together. Which I think is the coolest part. Yes. It really like... It changes the whole meaning of the statue. I know. I know. Um, and it's also, they said it could be left there for up to a month. <sighs> Why not forever? <laughs> I hope they leave it up there for extra time so you can see it when you go to work this summer. Ugh, I, I wish. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I literally had two back-to-back -back midterms yesterday. Woke up at 4 a.m. to cram for this other midterm, and I'm also sick. So, not really my best week. I'm doing okay, except for I keep coughing, and I have, like, wrong temperature regulation. Like, I keep getting really warm and really cold. Ugh. But I also keep taking my temperature, and it says I don't have a fever, so... Ugh. I literally come back to the room after uh, my midterm today, and I see Quinn, and she's just, like, sitting on our chair. And I'm just like, are you okay? And she's like, I'm sick. And I was like, I know, I feel you. <laughs> I feel your pain. The entire campus is sick, though. That's fair. It's really everybody. I was at rehearsal yesterday, um, and they're just like, okay, how many people here are sick? And two-thirds of the group raised their hands. It's, it's not fun. Okay. Some other international activism that's going on today, um, and there really is stuff all over the place. For people focused on different causes, but mostly, like, somehow gender equality related. So in Madrid, there are people gathered to support women who were doing a hunger strike, demanding end to domestic violence. In the Philippines, they're protesting against D Donald Trump, always a classic. Uh, 
in Russia, this was so daring. There were activists who snuck into the Kremlin, um, who had signs about gender equality, like men out of the Kremlin, which seems like a very dangerous thing to do in Russia, but was really cool. In Germany, a bunch of airlines are doing all-female flight crews today, so like all of these flights are going to be flown by two female pilots, um, which is cool. Like, oh yeah, das stimmt. <laughs> I know, I always have to bring up Germany whenever I can for you. <laughs> but no, it is cool, like, because um, airline pilots are one of those fields, like, so many that women are underrepresented in. There's actually a really cool story. I'm, I should just cut this out, but there's a really cool story behind, like, airline pilots and gender equality, because it used to be seen as women's work, and now it seems as men's work, because they deliberately masculinized... Is that a word? They deliberately made, like, flying appealing to men and pushed women out of it. Hmm. And they force them to become stewardesses. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me angry. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a whack story, but it's a thing that happened. Also, computer science. Anyway. <laughs> also, the invention of DNA. <laughs> also, everything. <laughs> God, women have been killing it for so long. <laughs> did you know there's, like, a... Did you know... I mean, obviously, Mozart's brilliant, but did you know, like, some of his stuff was actually written by his sister? Yeah, his sister was so cool! Uh, but, like, her dad was like, you can't write this stuff, just give it to um, Mozart, Wolfgang, or whatever. Yeah, no, like, was his name Wolfgang? Yeah. 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 Wolfgang Amadeus. Yes. There's a lot of people who like to claim that women have not contributed as much to humanity as men have, but in pretty much every case, either, one, they did, and they're... Um, either were forced to be anonymous or men took credit for their work or they the only reason they weren't contributing is because they were specifically pushed out of fields and pushed out of the work that they could have done by structural forces slash deliberate sexism and discrimination and it's not even that it's also just like implicit like in everyday life like the fact that jk rowling had to use initials because her publisher was like oh if we want to increase the amount of people who like read your books like some like some guys might not want to read a series written by a woman or something like that yeah and i mean everything that's been going on recently um especially in the tech industry um like incredible sexism and discrimination rampant there um and like women just not being welcomed into stem fields and not being treated fairly once they get there Mm mm-hmm Hello, sexism is real. <laughs> Which brings us to what's going on today. Um, beca- because it is International Women's Day, there is a movement going on called A Day Without Women. So basically what this is, um, I'm not sure if they were the original organizers of this, but um, one of the driving forces of it is like the Women's March um, that happened after the inauguration, the organizers of that and that whole movement um, have declared this A Day Without Women. And so they're encouraging women to, um, one, not go to work if they can afford to take the day off today, two, not buy anything um, if they can afford not to buy anything today, or three, um, if they can't do those previous things or just, like, in addition to those, to wear red and to stand in solidarity um, with women internationally. So the point of this whole thing is to demonstrate the economic power of women um, and to demonstrate like what would happen if women did not contribute to the economy and this was inspired by recent day without immigrant protests um which were pretty powerful in some areas of showing like how 
much um, certain communities depend on immigrants. Mm-hmm. Slash the whole country. Oh, yeah, obviously. But Yeah, on a wider scale. No. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, I don't like the whole, just from speaking economically, not necessarily the reason for the cause. I just don't like, you know, like the idea of just, I don't know. You did not finish the sentence. Yeah, because I'm literally going to get, like, destroyed. Okay, you keep saying that, but no one has, like, ever been mean to you, so... Eh, that's fair. You can say what you want to say. Like, you should make the arguments you want to make. I think it's a good idea, um, in theory, but I don't... I To me, it just seems counterintuitive. So it's like, we're supposed to show that women are making significant contributions to the to economics by not doing it for a day, and then... I don't know. It's just... Well, I I think the point is to, like, make what people don't think about visible. So you kind of don't think about what people are doing um, just to, like, make everyday life happen. Um, So the point is... What I perceive as the point is, like, if women step away, um, then you see how much work they're doing when it's not happening. Um, cause I, like, I think that you normally don't notice things when they're going fine. I think that's just a fact of human existence. Um, and again, like, this obviously can never be a perfect thing because there are lots of women, um, who cannot afford to take the day off today, just period. Um, and there are a lot of women who don't care and don't want to, that's also fine. But in certain communities, especially, like, where a lot of women are participating, then it can have a striking effect. Um, and one thing that we have seen so far today that it really has had an effect is in some school districts because um, about 75% of secondary teachers in the United States are women, which is a whole other thing. But because so many of them have asked for the day off in certain districts, um, then they've had to actually close school. Wow. That's cooler than a snow day, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's also a struggle because like that leaves some parents um, without childcare for the day, basically. Yeah. Which is a problem. But again, like, the same thing happens with snow days or other school closings. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, I do think that for the people who don't have childcare for the day, like, obviously that is a very unfortunate side effect of this. But I also feel like a little bit that's the point, is to demonstrate all that women do in everyday life. Mm-hmm. So... It sucks, but it's also, like, it wouldn't work if it wasn't disruptive. Like, I get the point of it, and I like the idea behind it as in, like, solidarity and realizing that, and making, forcing other people to realize that women have been making significant contributions to society all along, but I just, I don't know, just something about not showing up to work just bothers me. Like, I understand, um, not, you know, buying anything today, because, like, a lot of people do that all the time for companies, especially with child labor, you boycott the product. Like, that's, like, I get that. But then, I don't know, just, just something doesn't sit right with me with just, with not going to work. But that's also because I'm me and I'm, like, a workaholic, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there is a really important question there of who can afford to not go to work. I think for the most part, people aren't just not showing up, like, they're taking the day off if they can. Because there are a lot of jobs where you can just ask for time off. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have, like, a nice job. <laughs> Not in finance. <laughs> oh, that's a whole different thing. And so, like, a lot of women with low-income jobs are really not going to be able to afford to take the day off slash can't not show up to work today without losing their jobs, which, of course, would be very, very difficult for them and their families. So, um, 
And I don't perceive this as being really strong pressure on women not to come to work. Like, I have not felt that. I don't feel like I'm going to be ostracized from feminism if I work today, which, like, I'm doing right now. Hi. Um, (laughs) But there's still that kind of, like, cognitive dissonance of it's always the most privileged women who can afford to strike and protest, you know? Yeah, no, yeah, that's fair. Um, I think for me, it's just this movement is supposed to be about, you know, solidarity and sticking together. But, you know, if you're at a job, like, your company or your business or whatever is relying on you, and then you're backing out for... I know that it's for, like, the greater good or whatever, but I don't know. There is just, like, a level of individualism that I'm not super comfortable with. What do you... Wait, what do you mean by that? I mean, maybe it's just me because, like... Like, going through the recruiting process has made me realize, like, how lucky I am to have a job. And, like, I don't know why even not going to a day of work or whatever, that would just not feel right to me because it's, like, they picked me and they could have picked someone else and they, like, put their faith and trust in me to show up to work every day and, like, do what they hired me to do. And for me to, like, back out, or even for one day, like, that's still, I don't know. Oh, I can see your point there. But what if you're working at a place that doesn't pay you well enough or has discriminatory hiring practices or has a discriminatory HR department that doesn't handle sexual harassment cases correctly. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there are also reasons to protest your job where you can be grateful for a job, but you can also, like, recognize that it can improve. That's how I feel about America. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the people who can take off from work, though, are working for, like, different kinds of companies that would let them, that aren't as, that aren't really the problem companies. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, like... That's true. It's like preaching to the choir. It's like, oh, I'm gonna take a day off, and it's like, okay, and your company's, like, okay with it? Then, I don't know, there's just... That's true, and I feel like, obviously, it would be preferable if the, like, the employers that are the problem had direct economic hits from this kind of thing, which I think you're right that, mm-hmm. that that's not a perfect correlation, um... But it's also a matter of solidarity and, like, the women who can strike will and the ones who can't will, like, hopefully in some way benefit from that. Mm -hmm. Again, like, these are not perfectly drawn lines. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think in, like, regards to, like, some companies, it might be polarizing. Um, And I think that's, like, the opposite of what we need. Wait, what? So, like, if you, like, take off from work and it's... um, I can't explain this. Um... If, like, everyone's doing this, and then there's always just, like, going to be general resentment, you know? And I oh, feel yeah. like that doesn't really address the problem. I think that just um, exacts- exacerbates it. We would never do any activism if you only did activism that everyone liked. Yeah, I know, but, like... <laughs> like, I, I feel like I conceived your point. I just... I think that you're right there. I just also think that, like, it's it's an individual choice of, like, what do you value in the situation? What can you afford in the situation? And then making a choice there of being like, yes, like, this is controversial, but I believe in the cause. Okay, yeah. No, that's her. Okay. I'm good. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also dying. <laughs> I feel so bad. <laughs> so, for our pop culture segment this week, Jillian told me I could talk about Ed Sheeran. Yeah, and she is very excited. Okay, so Ed Sheeran released his new album over the weekend. It's called Divide. It is incredible. Everyone should listen to it. I'm a big fan. Um, I don't know what my favorite song... I actually really like Castle on the Hill, which is one of the first singles that he released. Um, I also really like Happier. If anyone's listened to it, 
tweet me. I want to talk to people about it. <laughs> Happier is also a really great song, and it, it, like, hit a very personal emotional chord with me. So there's that. And the song Galway Girl, which is not a cover of the classic Irish song Galway Girl, but a new song that is also fantastic. <laughs> have you listened to any of this? No. Have, have you even listened to the singles? with? I, I know Shape of You. Oh yeah, Shape of You is pretty good too. I don't really like it. Oh my god, Jilly had... The one song I like by Ed Sheeran I think was his first song, and it was... No, I like two of his songs. Okay. I like The A-Team, okay. because classic, um, and Little Bird. Oh, I like... Oh my god, Little Bird is so sad. I like sad music, I think. You like sad everything. Okay, well... T- <laughs> but no, Quinn and I were having this discussion, and... Um, she was, like, raving about Ed Sheeran, and I was like, oh, I feel like I'm pretty indifferent towards him. Okay, I just, I respect your right to be indifferent towards Ed Sheeran. I just am not. (laughs) I feel like, okay. When did your love for him start? I have an actual story about this. Oh my god. (laughs) So, when I was in high school, a guy broke my heart. Um, when I was a senior, yeah, I was a senior in high school, and... Only Ed Sheeran's first album was out at that time, Plus. And, yeah, his albums are named Plus, Multiply, and Divide. He has a whole theme going. And um, I listened to it so many times. And I feel like... <laughs> this is going to sound really weird. But I feel like like my emotions at that time, I kind of all attached to him and his music because his music was so personal and expressive to me that, like... I, I kind of, like, replaced the love that used to be in my life with this person I was in a relationship with, like, with my love for Ed Sheeran. And ever since then, I've just really liked him. And then, so his first, and his second album came out um, the summer after my senior year. And I remember because I was flying to Kansas City and it came out while I was in the airport. And it was incredible. <laughs> and then his third album just came out this weekend and I've already listened to it at least five times all the way through. And it's real good. So is his next album going to be Subtract or Minus? Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's continuing this number scene. My theory is it's going to be a trilogy. Because he can't keep going. Like, what is it going to be in 10 years? Like, the quadratic formula? Uh, yeah. <laughs> a factor. <laughs> you can make up so many different math terms. I mean, I guess you could. But... Derivative. Ooh, that one's good. Oh, derivative would actually be really good. <sighs> okay. That could be... Then you could have, like... Derivative, first derivative. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways. But anyway, no, Etchern is very important to me um, on a variety of levels. And that, like, I just feel like with most celebrities, I'm relatively ambivalent to them. Like, I really like certain celebrities and I really, en- I especially really enjoy some people's work, like whether they're actors or singers or whatever. Um, obviously, I spent a while talking about Emma Watson last episode and I also really like her. But there are. A couple singers who just transcend that level to me like you they say like don't put people on pedestals and I feel like for the most part I'm really good about that and that I know that celebrities are just human beings and they just make work that I enjoy but there are a couple people that I have just chosen to like put on pedestals and to like transcend normal personhood to me you're just looking at me like I am a crazy person <laughs> <laughs> and for me like Ed Sheeran is just who I have chosen to put there and to be the faux love of my life. Okay, you know what? I'll give you that. There there could be worse options. Okay, thank you. And I know he's not perfect. Don't, like, don't burst my bubble. He's just a normal dude. It's fine. 
He also has a long-term girlfriend now, and they're very cute together, and I'm very happy for them. <laughs> As she says, like, clenching her hands. <laughs> no, I'm being genuine. <laughs> no, she's fine. She's cool. So, this is my question, Julian. Who is your celebrity crush? Okay, Josh Hutcherson. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, everyone makes... Okay, everyone fell in love with Josh Hutcherson, like, with, like, the Hunger Games and, you know, all of his other stuff. But I liked him since Little Manhattan, okay? So, clearly my love has been the longest. Okay, can I just say that the guy who broke my heart in high school looked like Josh Hutcherson? <laughs> it's weird how things work out like that. <laughs> what, a, what a beautiful circle we've just created here. <laughs> Oh, you know who I also have, like, I don't know if I like, I can't really tell if I really, really like him or not. Um, I think his, yeah, I think, no, well, apparently not, because I don't know his name. Uh, Vanessa Ann Hudgens' boyfriend, uh, Austin Butler, right? Wait, I don't know who this is. He's, like, really cute. Like, who is he? He was in, um, the show Carrie Diaries when it was on for, like, a hot second. I don't know anything about what you're talking about. I feel like I like not popular people. Like, I don't like mainstream people. You're too cool for that. No, I just don't think I watch enough, like, pop culture references to understand who they are and their significance. See, my true celebrity idol... I don't know if idol's the right word. Just the person who fills... Who's mere existence feels fills me with joy um is mika who's a european pop singer i went to new york and back in under 24 hours one time to see him in concert and it was one of the best decisions of my life he was so beautiful and i actually knew who that was and i started singing the song which made quinn very happy yes i just love him golden is such a great song it and i like i'm not like ed sheeran i'm in love with i'm not in love with mika he just his presence his voice it is sunshine to me <laughs> yes yes i also think there is a um a difference between loving a, like having a favorite celebrity and then like a celebrity you would want to be oh my god definitely yeah. although for me it's almost always the same thing because i'm just attracted to women that i want to be like <laughs> I feel like I'm more attracted to female celebrities when they have short hair, but I also think that's just because I like it when I have short hair. (laughs) I also think that female celebrities are, in general, better looking than male celebrities. Like, on average. Really? I feel- I can name a lot more, like, beautiful actresses than I can with guys. After a while, all the guys start to look the same. Everyone is so beautiful. Just, like, all people are so beautiful. I'm fascinated by people. I hate people. (laughs) (laughs) That's why the show is called Mixed Feelings, folks. <laughs> uh, I missed our playful banter. <laughs> oh my god. Also, just a general disclaimer, we're not objectifying anyone. Everyone are fully in- realized humans, and we recognize that. Oh, I'm objectifying you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> kidding, like, kidding. See, there's a difference between appreciating how attractive someone is and being attractive to someone and objectifying them. And I think that you can both be attracted to someone and recognize that they are a fully complete human. <laughs> like Emma Watson. <laughs> like Emma Watson. Yeah. Wait, so is that who would you want who you would want to be? Oh my god, yes. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I would also marry her. Just Fair. to be clear. Fair. She's a beautiful, intelligent, educated, driven woman. And she's a Disney princess. Yeah, she's flawless. And she's Hermione Granger. Yeah, exactly. Would you marry Josh Hutcherson? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to be him, though. 
That's fair. But <laughs> I feel like he peaked at Bridge to Terabithia. Well, he was like 12 in that. That's a little weird. <laughs> well, like his career, his acting. Not like him. Like, <laughs> what happened to objectifying you, people, Quinn? <laughs> we were talking about marrying them. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Wait, you don't think that The Hunger Games was the peak of his career? I feel like that was slightly more successful. It was, but I feel like he didn't get enough attention for that because I feel like it was all towards Liam Hemsworth. Really? Yeah. See, if it, like, I mean, obviously Liam Hemsworth is also great, but I th- I would choose Josh Hutcherson over him. Really? Yeah, I go for, like, cute guys. Okay, yeah. This is too much personal information. Let's be, <laughs> let's be clear here. <laughs> all right, that's all for today. Uh, thank you for listening to us. You can find us on Twitter at MixedFeelingsFM or at Relay.FM slash MixedFeelings. Um, contact us however you want at those various places. You can also find us in the iTunes store, where it'd be fantastic if you left us a review. No one's left us a review in a little while, but feel free, and you can ask us a question in your review if you want us to answer it on the show. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thanks for talking with me today, Quinn. Thanks for talking with me, Jillian. I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our mixed feelings. <laughs>